From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Lyndall Cooler with this week's message. I'm going to talk to you about something the Lord's speaking to me, and I want you to open your Bible to 2 Samuel 6. And I want to really pour this out to you. I feel fire in my bones about this. Uh, I will tell you a bit of a warning. Uh, If you're new to the church since I've been ill, uh, I didn't have a great filter before. I have less now. We are in very, very precarious times in the world. You would be, have to be blind and stupid to not pay attention to what's going on in the world. Our social media is full of the currency's going to collapse. Our, our news is full of China's advances and uh, uh, reclaiming Taiwan. That even some nations have stopped using U.S. currency to buy petroleum. Iran. Now, here's what's really funny, because y'all don't read your Bible. But if you read your Bible and you quit turning off those kooky uh, prophecy preachers and you start listening to them, you'd understand something. Things are winding up and everything, including a 200 million man army, is in the Bible and it's all lining up perfectly. Who's going to come against Israel is there. It's all in place. It's all falling into place. Grandpa Biden is right on time. Because America could not be strong for Bible prophecy to come about the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible, last time I read, I came to preach, I'm sorry, y'all, y'all were expecting a halfway dead man, but I am not dead. The Lord has raised me up. And if he's going to raise me up, I may as well preach the truth and we may as well get down to it and we may as well quit playing tiddlywinks. And that's what we're going to do today. Okay? No filter. Because somebody needs to tell you what's going on. It's all lining up just as the Bible said so. The Euphrates River drying up just like the Bible said it would. It is not accidental. It's the word. And it's coming to pass in front of your eyes. Am I predicting the coming of the Lord? No, I'm not. But I'm telling you, friends, this stuff is happening in front of us. And yet the church, largely in America, is still asleep, still going to their little light shows with their cute little preachers and their cute little jeans and their cute little community. And no one calls anyone to repentance. No one says, get the porn out of your life. No one says, quit sleeping with someone you're not married. No one says, quit lying. No one says that anymore because people won't come to church. I'd rather you not come to church, but hear the word of God and not go to hell. I'm not worried about your church attendance. I'm worried about your eternity situation. I'm worried about, are you right with God? Are you living on the edge in between righteousness and unbelief? Or are you totally sold out to God? If you're not, it's time to get right. And quit playing. Quit playing. I don't know what sin is. Oh, yes, you do. You got a Bible. If you're having sex with someone you're not married, clue. It's sin. It's just kind of clear. If you're lying, cheating, stealing. Reconstructing your faith. It's sin. Your faith doesn't need to be reconstructed. You do. Your faith is fine. Do it or shut up. If you're going to hell, get out of church and go first class. Go to hell. But don't do it here because it's going to be worse for you. Because you're going to stand in front of the Lord. Every one of us are going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to give an account for the deeds done in the body. 
And every service you sat through and you heard Larry and Lynette and Derek and all of us teach and preach the gospel to you. You're going to go, I wish I had listened, but I had a vice that was stronger than my ability to hear. As one who has seen death in the face recently, nothing else is important except knowing Jesus. My wife, Joy, has discovered Vesta Mangan. I heard this husky voice coming out of the bed, out of the bathroom this morning. I said, who are you listening to? Vesta. You know Vesta? Anybody know her? Pentecostals of Alexandria? She don't mess around. And I find that as we get closer to the return of Jesus, I just don't want to hear slick and shiny. I want somebody to tell me the truth. I want somebody to tell me the truth. Don't play with me. I'm tired of prophets who prophesy roses and rainbows and everything's going to be great. It is going to be great if you're right with the Lord. Now, that was a gentle opening. You're going, go back to the hospital. I heard that Vanderbilt's got a one, one free with three. But I'm not going back for the third free one. I've still got bruises all over me. You should see me with my shirt off. Well, maybe not. I look like a street fighter. My boys think I look really tough. I got cuts and bruises and tell you what, I thank God for those who saved my life. But I was sitting home on Easter Sunday, and this word came to me. I'll try to preach it without being emotional, but I can't hardly. Second Samuel 6, 1. The story here is David has become the king. He's the new king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. And realize that Israel was never intended to have a physical king. They were never supposed to have a flesh and blood king, ever. But the people wanted something more accepting and accommodating. Read between the lines. So they took God out of his place and they put a man there. And God said, okay... You want a king? I'll give you one. And the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above every other man in the kingdom. Tall, studly, good-looking guy. And Saul started off so right. Because the Bible says on the day of his coronation, Saul knew in the beginning that he was not supposed to be king. And when he was anointed on his day of coronation, the Bible says they couldn't even find him. He was hidden among the stuff. He was like, there ain't no way in the world I'm going out there and taking God's place as king. There's no way. Well, people convinced him to come to the coronation. It was their desire and their will. And he became the very first king of Israel and Judah. Very first. Because the people said, we feel kind of creepy, God, because, you know, you're our king, but all the other nations have a king, like a physical king, and we look kind of stupid. Where's your king? Well, it's God. You know, they looked as crazy as you're starting to look to this society. If you believe the Bible, if you believe the virgin birth... If you believe Jesus is coming again, you're starting to look insane. Embrace the insanity. Because you're not, they are. They've thrown off all caution. They've thrown off all restraints. And they've made things gods that are not gods. If you watched the Commonwealth Games last year, you saw England, Britain, The last great empire before America. You saw women riding 
a three-story tall brazen bull, Molech, virgins worshiping before that thing. I don't know where y'all have been. You're too busy counting your money, I guess. But I'm telling you, these things are going on. And Prince Charles, before he was King Charles, stood up and pledged the allegiance of Britain to this kind of unity. To the worship of Molech. And they think we're crazy. Now you can no longer speak your mind about issues. If you speak what you think, you are considered bigoted, racist, wrong on every level. It's all to shut up any voice that is righteous. Well, my battle is not with flesh and blood. I will live and not die and declare the work of the Lord and the word of the Lord. And it stands forever. They have now maneuvered. We're in Canada and California. We cannot counsel anyone biblically about sexuality. If we do, that's called conversion therapy. What used to be abnormal is now normal. And I would be okay with it if it were just in the world. But it's right in the church, in the pastors, in the deacons, in the church. All leave it alone. Well, I'll leave it alone if the Bible will leave it alone. We don't want to offend anybody. Some of y'all don't even know about the Abrahamic house that happened in Dubai that opened up March 1st. Three churches, three temples, a Muslim mosque, a Catholic church. Anybody here? And what was the other one? And a Jewish temple. Beautiful buildings built in a triangle promoting unity. Sounds antichrist to me. I don't know. We have distinctives. Christians have distinctives. If we lose those distinctives, we are no longer Christians. And those distinctives are becoming more and more offensive. Let them be offended. Because the king that we worship is about to return. And I got news for all the offended snots. Every one of them going to bow down to King Jesus. Every one of them. Every one of them. And many people who've sat in the church all their life and lost their families and lost their very soul and have compromised with sin and compromised with the Antichrist and compromised with the spirit of the age are going to lose their soul and stand before the Lord wondering what happened. Do not conform to this age. Be not conformed to the world and its ways, but be transformed. We're not into conformity. We're into transformation. But not any transformation. Transformation to the word. Jesus is our goal. I'm kind of strong today, aren't I? I'm not going to apologize. You need the truth because you sure ain't hearing it nowhere else. Everybody's want to bless you. Let me tell you, when you get right, the blessing follows you. It just follows you. You don't perceive the, you don't pursue the blessing. The blessing pursues you. The Bible says that righteousness is a blessing to any nation, but sin will destroy a nation. We're watching this happen in front of our eyes. But what, what is our, what's our response? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me finally get to the sermon. Saul became the king. Saul got full of himself. God said, go down. Kill the people. Burn everything they own. Kill their king. Somebody says, oh, that's a hateful God. Well, you have to understand, he was preserving the bloodline of Christ because these people were pagans. 
They were offering their children as burnt sacrifices to gods. They were in all kinds of filth. And God was saying, I've got to preserve. Here's the thing I want you to understand. You've got to get a circle of people around you who live right. Because you've got to have people. This community of the saints of God is more critical as we go forward. You may need each other for groceries. You may need each other for friendship, for prayer. For con- you, you're going to need each other. You don't need to be out there in a boat throwing rocks at the ship of what's wrong with it. Get in here. Let's get sweaty and hot and let's bail water and get this old ship of Zion down the road because it's not perfect, but we need one another. Saul becomes king. God's beck and he says, kill it all, get rid of it. And God, Saul decided to help God like a lot of people in America right now in the pulpits. Well, I know the word says that, but you know, I've got a nephew. Or Sister Smith on the front row, you know, she's living a certain lifestyle. And, and if I say that, it's going to cause her to not come to church. It's going to offend somebody. Saul said, you know what? It would be good for the people if I bring the king back and all their riches. And I could take it to the temple. He's religious. I could take it to the temple. And I could bring the best of everything back. And people would celebrate that we brought good things back. What a great, I think it's a good idea personally. Except God said, destroy it all. It was a great idea, but God said no. So he brings them back, brings the king back, because he wants to show what a great king he is. And God says, Saul, I got to reject you, buddy. Because you're not obedient to me. I got to pull you off the throne and I got to replace you because you will not do what I tell you to do. I let you have this precarious place, but I am not going to let you stay in it if you're not humble before me. We're going to move you on. Saul said, well, you know what? I know I've been rejected. Instead of falling on his face, instead of getting a Psalm 51 like we did out of David, we did not get a Psalm 51. Against thee and against thee only have I sinned. No repentance, no turning. He just goes, look, okay, if I'm out, can we just play the game a little longer? Is it okay if I... Go down to the prophet's tent to prophesy and Samuel will go with me because if they see us together, they're going to think we're okay. They're going to, hey, he's going down to the prophet's tent to prophesy with Samuel. He must be okay. It's going to be fine. And this is how Saul lived after he was rejected. Never once was his heart smoked that he should have gotten right. I want to tell you, friend, pleasing people and caring what others think about you above caring what God thinks about you will never be a win for you. You should concern yourself with what God thinks, not what your friends think. So Saul is rejected. David comes on the scene, a young boy. Saul was rejected by God. David was rejected by everybody else but God. He knew what it was like to live alone. He knew what it was like to love God in spite of his brothers, his fathers, and the entire army of Israel. He knew what it was like to put God on a high place above every other thing. He knew what that was like. And he came to the throne, not knowing a lot, honestly ignorant of a lot of protocol, but how a heart for God that was so extraordinary and burned with such passion that one day I imagine he's sitting on the throne 
And he says, you know what? I recall my dad, Jesse, telling me about a box. A box that had cherubim on top of it. They were golden. I I remember hearing about that. And I remember that it was in the Holy of Holies. But I went down to the tabernacle at Shiloh the other day, and I noticed it wasn't there. But yet they were still worshiping like it was. I heard stories that when that box went before the army of the Lord, they never were defeated. And my dad told me that one day we were fighting the Philistines. They were trying to take our nation from us. They were trying to take our women and our children. And we went to fight with them. And we were losing. And one of the Levites said, you know what? Go get the ark. This is all in the Bible, by the way. Go get the ark of the Lord. Listen to this. It will win the battle for us. Somebody says, why is that important? Because he just took God out of the equation and he took a religious relic, a religious symbol, and he put his confidence Israel put their confidence in the box, not God. Go get it. It'll win it for us. And God says, well, we'll see how this goes. Because the first commandment is, have no other God before me. Love the Lord your God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. No other gods before me. And they've made a God out of something I created and called to be made. And I've made it clear that they're never to worship what's created, but only the Creator. So we're going to let them get a clock cleaning. They brought the box. Not only did the Philistines win, they took the ark from Israel. I mean, rubbed their face in it and took their box. Somebody says, how in the world did they get the box? Because God wasn't with them. Their confidence was in something that represented God, not God. Thank you, I'll preach it. (laughs) Their confidence wasn't in Jehovah. It was in the cherubim on top of the golden box that held the golden bowl of manna and the commandments and Aaron's rod that bloomed. That's where their confidence was. And God says, no, if they're not going to worship me, I'm not going to fight for them. If they're not going to worship me. See, I'm not sure who the American church is worshiping right now. I think they're worshiping worship. But the true worshiper worships up God in spirit and truth. And the Lord will stand up strongly on their behalf. Because the Bible says, I'm looking for. God says, I'm looking for worshipers who worship me in spirit and truth. To strongly uphold them. So what we are seeing happen in our nation is we're going to see situations come where you're going to be shocked that Christians are not backed up by God. But you're going to have these ragtags over here who worship God in spirit and truth, and he's going to show up strong on their behalf. God's not obligated because you come to church and sing songs. I watched a documentary on how they program all this pacing back and forth. When they're worshiping. And at this point, raise your hands. Garbage. It's not worship. It's idle. It's idle. It needs to be done away with. Immediately. If not sooner. It's not worship. Because if one's heart is not melted before the Lord. It's just empty words. Platitudes that God does not receive. God is not interested in your nod of approval. God is not waiting for that wonderful song you have to write that's going to change the world. 
No, God knows how to find shepherd boys and put in their spirit, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He knows how to make poets out of farmers. He knows how to reject kings who reject him. But he knows how to get down in the trenches with the lowly. What a beautiful Savior. What a beautiful Savior. So David gets on the throne and he starts looking for God's stuff. Where's the box? Philistines have it. What? How'd they get it? Well, we put our confidence in the box and we got a behind whipping. They took it away from us. Well, how long have they had it? Surely we've made crusades to go get it. Surely we've raised armies to go get what belongs to God. That's, that's God's ark. That's the ark of the covenant. That's the covenant between... Are you making a connection between the fact that Christians in America today are not in covenant with God? But yet they worship. Right? Covenant. God has made a blood covenant with, through Jesus Christ with every believer. And he expects that reciprocated a blood covenant back to him to receive that kind of a bond that we are immovable. It cannot be broken. We know his part's not going to be broken. He's waiting to see when ours won't be broken. And he's going to have that church. Trust me. Just don't fear. However, how long have they had it? A hundred years. A hundred years. They've had it a hundred years? What? But yet church is going on. David said in his youth, man, we got to go get it. Let's just go get it. So he pulls together all the singers, all the dancers, all the Levites, all the prayers, all the men of God throughout all of Israel. They plan a processional to go get the ark. They go pick up the ark. They're carrying it on a brand new cart. They built a, they built a Bentley cart for it. Best of everything for the ark of the Lord. And they're carrying it back to Israel. David is thrilled out of his mind. The singers are singing, the dancers are dancing, and they're doing really, really good till they get to Nahor's threshing floor. Now that's where we drop into our story. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to, from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah from Ohio, (laughs) right next to Indiana, The sons of Abinadab drove the cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on a hill, accompanying the ark of God. And when Ohio went before the ark, so he's out front. Verse five, then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood and harps and strings and instruments and tambourines and sistrums. And cymbals. It was loud. Cymbals were loud. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of the Lord and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Now again, Uzzah's doing a good thing, I think. The ox have stumbled. We're about to lose the ark. But it says in verse 6, Something very precarious. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died before the ark of God. Verse 8, and David became angry. Have you ever done the right thing, 
and God didn't play ball with you? Have you ever thought you were pleasing the Lord, doing the righteous thing, and then when you came under scrutiny from God himself, you got mad? Anybody here? All of y'all are so righteous you don't do that. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Fear of the Lord is a very important thing. David went down there as a young greenhorn, not knowing protocol and truly not fearing the Lord as he should. He didn't mess with the things of God casually. I fear we sit among a relationship and a church of America, even the spirit-filled prophetic camp, that do not fear the Lord any longer. They're glad to say, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't happen over and over and over. And there's never a public repentance. What's going on? Lack of fear of God. When you speak for God, it better be right. If it's not, you should apologize as publicly as you prophesied. But there's no fear. Choking on my own spit. People split churches, no fear of the Lord. Raise up insurrection, no fear of the Lord. (coughs) Get people on their side, no fear of the Lord. Let me talk to those of you who have been church splitters. You think, oh, Lindell, that's not important. It's not important. It's not important. The Lord told me. You have no fear of the Lord because the Lord didn't tell you. You wouldn't know the Lord if he slapped you upside the head. Because if the Lord told you, he would teach you to do things the honorable way. Dishonor is never attached to the name of Jesus. This is much richer teaching than what you're amening. But you need to learn your pastor. John Kilpatrick is my pastor. He's not a perfect man. But I honor him. Until I hear that he has slept with a prostitute, fallen away from the doctrine of the Bible, he'll still be my pastor. Warts, freckles, and all. (coughs) I will honor him. When he says, can you help me? I will jump to attention. He's my pastor. He's not God, but he's my pastor. Why? Because if I can't honor the man of God who's over me, I can't joke myself and fool myself to think I can honor God whom I cannot see. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And you don't have a pastor until he smacks you around a little bit, says something make you mad. You ain't got a pastor, you got a puppet. America is deficit for pastors right now. Men of God who square their shoulders and will not back down. Call it what it is, no matter how much it costs them. Oh, we're going to start a new church. It's going to be wonderful. But we're going to use the platform of the previous church to declare our new church without the permission of the leadership of our old church, and we're going to pull as many people away as we can. Let me tell you what the problem with that is. That's a heartbreak for a pastor, number one. I've had it happen here. We lost 40 or 50 young adults one time. Lauren and Stephen came along and replaced all of them. Just like a prophet of God told me in two weeks, you, you, you won't miss them. But you know what I've noticed? A bunch of those young adults are tending bar. They're not living right. They were rooted in this church and someone used their influence to uproot them and pull them out and never thought about their soul. Never thought about their soul. See, Frank and Elaine and I and Larry, we're old war horses. We've seen so much in church 
but we're not movable from the scripture. But these babies in the Lord, these 20-somethings, these new creatures in Christ Jesus don't have a root system that's very strong. And they've got to develop it. How dare you, man or woman, that would dare. I wonder if Jesus' words apply to you. Whoever would mistreat one of these, it would be better for him that a millstone be tied around his neck and he cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. This church was not built on rebellion. We're not huge. But as long as I'm here, we're going to be right. L.H. Hardwick invited me here. I honored L.H. Hardwick till the day he died. I would never do anything to hurt that precious man of God. I would not split his church. I would not ask his people, anybody from old Christ church days that are sitting, and there's many of them here, you will know that this pastor never invited you to come because I would not dishonor my pastor, L.H. Hardwick. Oh, God, we've got to get back to honor, guys. We're never going to be an army until we understand ranks. Now, let me move on. Soapbox finished. I'm just tired of it. Are you tired of it? I mean, I don't want to stone prophets that prophesy lies. But I do find myself looking for a rock sometimes. Because of the damage. David got afraid of God in verse 9. And look what he says. How can the ark ever come to me? Now, this is you and me. Beverly, this is us, honey. I did what I was doing. I did it right, and I did it, and I went and got it. I built a Bentley to put it on, and I did exactly what I should have done. And, and, and look what God did. He killed one of the boys. I guess the ark is never coming to me. Right? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house. Now pay attention to this name. Obed-Edom. Everybody say, Obed-Edom. He took it aside to Obed-Edom the Gittite's house. This is my message. Verse 11. The ark, read it with me. The ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And look what happened. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, if the king of the nation brings me the ark of the Lord and I'm Obed-Edom, I'm not putting it in the barn. Can y'all give me a little levity here to just kind of explore this? I won't preach much longer. Not probably a couple more hours. <laughs> lean in, okay? Can you lean in a little bit? Listen to this. I'm not going to put it in the barn. Are you joy? No, I'm going to move all those nice, beautiful things that Landy has on the coffee table, and I'm going to put it right there in the most prominent place. The only problem with the ark is you couldn't touch it. Uzzah proved that the ark wasn't Uzzah friendly. (laughs) You couldn't touch the ark. That's an old joke, but y'all still left. You couldn't touch it. Obed's kids would play with their friends and go, you ain't going to believe what we've got in our living room. You want, it glows blue at night. It has a sound about it. It goes. Y'all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It's in our house. Have you touched? Oh, no, Papa did not. Dad said, don't touch it. You'd die. I mean, we, we knew what happened to that priest down there at Nahor's, play, Nahor's threshing point. We, we, Nahor's threshing point. I can't get it right. Anyway, y'all know. We heard about him. I mean, zap, gone. I mean, it was Star Trek. I mean, he just disappeared. I mean, like a pile of ashes. Boom, gone. So we don't dare touch it. But there's such a wonderful thing 
about the blue light. Our whole house is at peace. We have the most fun in our kitchen around the kitchen table we've ever had in the world because of that thing in there in the kitchen, in the living room. And do you know my daddy's carrots are the size of baseball bats right now? They are huge. It takes like three people to pull them out of the ground. I mean, we are blessed beyond. All of our mules are having babies. All of our lambs are having babies. And they're perfectly formed. Our fruit and everything we're producing is better than anything we've ever had. It's been here three months. And I'm telling you, things are different. See, I'm afraid, Elaine... That when we talk about the presence of the Lord, you and I know what we're talking about. But I'm afraid so many in the church think a moment of crescendo in the music is the presence. But let me tell you what the presence is. The presence is like a fire in a room full of candles. You just melt like wax in his presence. You come undone in his presence. You don't have to pursue blessing when his presence is with you. And I'm afraid that people have allowed their sin to keep them short of his presence. I invite you today, Grace, those of you listening to me preach, come into his presence whatever it costs you. Let him melt away every situation that would keep you from his presence. If you find yourself at that moment of being undone, but now you're bargaining with God. Well, I don't really want to do that. Well, whatever that is, get rid of it now because there's nothing like his presence. It will transform you. No, it ain't just a good service. It rides with you. It goes before you. Read your Bible. It's good preaching. Thank you, Linda. Nearly killed me to preach these sermons. I told you last time I preached that God is not interested in worship the way you want to worship. See, David leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house and returns to Jerusalem. So those 90 days, David is studying the law and going, oops. There's something we didn't know. We could have helped him if we'd just given him a copy of Raiders. He would have known those little hoops on the corners were to put poles through so you don't touch it. And it's not supposed to be carried on a cart. The only people who ever carried the ark on a cart were the Philistines. And they got a hundred year case of hemorrhoids. It's in the Bible. Read it. Matter of fact, they didn't just get hemorrhoids. They built images of their affliction. Can you imagine 4th of July? Let's go down to Hemorrhoid Park. I see the picture I got. Yeah, that's my son down there with the hemorrhoid, the big black hemorrhoid. With the fountain with the water coming out of it. It's in your Bible. Y'all wouldn't be laughing so hard if you just read it. A hundred year case of it. Only people, God didn't even let the unbeliever handle the cart without, the handle of the ark in the wrong way, without a consequence. And he had already written the law, and shame on David in his useful ignorance. To not pay attention. So he goes home and goes, I'm going to pay attention to how to do this. And we're going to get it right. Oh, the Levites, those crazy musicians are supposed to carry. I thought we just paid them to play 18.3 minutes of music on Sunday morning. Oh, they're supposed to carry that. On their shoulders through those poles. Aha. So David corrects everything. Now go down to verse 12 with me. Now it was told of cold King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went 
Now look at this. This is my message right here. And brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, six paces, they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark up with shouting. With the trumpet of the Lord, all of Israel behind the ark. They're all there. Everybody in Israel, 30,000 people, except for one conspicuous, obvious absence. The king's wife. Michael is not there. I'm finishing. I'm, brand, I'm landing the plane. What's my message? I sat at home on Resurrection Sunday. And I thought of all the people who have become accustomed in this life, in this world, post-COVID, to sitting at home in their pajamas. And I'm here to tell you, COVID's over. Well, it's not over. But hey, if you die, you're going to heaven. No big deal. I've already kissed that a couple of times. But we're back. We're shopping in the mall. We're going to movies. If you need to come to church, wear a mask, do whatever you need to do. But I'm just telling you, the time in your couch and your pajamas should be over because you're not putting a premium on the community of believers. And it tells me one thing. It tells me either you are so sick and immune compromised that you need to do that or the opposite. You've never been in the presence of God. To the point that you crave it and desire it above all things. And can the presence of the Lord visit your living room? Yeah. But it ain't the same. It ain't the same. There's something about here with us. As Clara was leading the worship today and the singers were leading the worship. There's something in Amber and all of them. There's something about when we're all together in the house of the Lord. It's a different thing. And this pastor sat at home. On Resurrection Sunday. And said God. I mean my wife had to almost hog tie me to keep me home. I wanted to come so bad. The doctor said you shouldn't go. You shouldn't be around people that might give you a germ. Okay. I don't need a germ honestly. So I'll just punch. We'll do fists today. I won't do a lot of hugging. I'm recovering. But my heart, my heart wanted to be here so bad. And I realized it wasn't just because I'm religious. I realized it's because my mother and father taught me that being in the house of the Lord was more important than anything I would do all week long. And they put a premium on it. At my house, you didn't stay home unless you were throwing up your liver. You went to church. It didn't matter if you felt like it. It didn't matter if you were in a good mood. If you were lightly sick, my daddy would say, son, let's just go to the house of the Lord. The Lord will heal you. And do you know what? Joy, every time he did. Every time he did. When I was a kid, it was so important to watch the wonderful world of Disney. Unfortunately, it came on right at church time. All I have ever seen of the wonderful world of Disney is one day we were late for church and I saw Tinkerbell. And she flew through and it, the credits rolled of who would be on. And it was like, we got to go. My wife thought it was strange that I'd never seen the Wizard of Oz. 
when we married. You know why? It was on on Sunday night. Never watched it. It was not an option. When I was a boy, I, was, I wanted to play trombone, I don't, trumpet. What was I thinking? I wanted to be a trumpeteer. If I'd have learned, Larry, you and I could have done a duet. But when they found out that practices were on Wednesday night, uh-uh, you ain't going. You're going to church. And you know, many preacher's kids like me turned bitter. But the difference is, I had a mom and dad who lived it at home. And they genuinely loved the Lord so much that everything they owned was on the auction block any minute of the day. If God said do it, they'd give up everything they had because they loved the presence. My dad married my mother when she was 15 and he was 16. And my mother was an amazing organist. My dad was uh, kind of a singer, tambourine player. But my uncle and my aunt would sing with them, and they were quite good. And because they were so good, they lived in St. Louis. Evangelists would come by and hear them sing, and they would say, you kids need to travel with us. And my dad and mom, at the thought of being able to be in revival services all the time, would sell their furniture and take off, and here we'd go. I wish I could tell you how many times my mother and dad sold furniture, came back and got jobs in the pursuit of the presence of the Lord. I was raised that nothing else matters but the presence of the Lord and the people of God being together. And I want to interject to you that the community of faith is not an option. It is not an option. As the days grow closer, you're going to need the people of God. But most of all, you're going to need the presence of God. So it's time to come out of this sick American Christianity and get in love with Jesus and get in love with his house and get in love with his presence and pursue him. I got news for you. He ain't coming after a church that's lukewarm and mediocre and goes when they feel like it. You're going to be left here when the rapture happens. Don't play with yourself. Don't play with these games with God. Don't be playing. You need to be on fire or you need to get out. We're in real war now. Our children have lost their way. Our nation has lost its way. We don't have people who will stand up and be righteous. Don't dare look at Washington hoping that there's somebody. And sure, don't look at the nations of the world. Because they are backbiting thieves and crooked as they can be. And they're jockeying for position. Don't look for a statesman among them. There's rarely one. But put your confidence in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And get next to the ark, metaphorically, and get in his presence. I literally cried. I really did, having to miss church. I shouldn't be here, probably. But I love you. And I love the presence of God. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And if I fall dead, I'd rather fall dead right here at the altar. In the presence of God. Sitting at my keyboard. Ministering to the one my heart loves. You're talking to a twice resurrected man. I shouldn't be here, but the Lord kept me here. If you don't like my preaching, that's your problem. Somebody needs to preach to you. I'm not preaching to the masses. I'm preaching to the remnant. 
Because the Bible says most people are going to hell is what it says. Broad is the way and broad is the way and easy is the way that leads to eternal destruction. But narrow is the gate. Is the way that leads to life. That's the words of Jesus. So I'm not here to preach to the masses. Because most of them are going to be lost. Most people you're going to church with in churches across the world don't know the Lord. They're not going to heaven. The question is this. Have you allowed the ark to get close enough? Obed-Edom, that little guy. I close with this. I really will close. Obed-Edom. I wanted to do a word study. I didn't get a chance, Lynette. I dare you to do a, do a word study on Obed-Edom. You know what you're going to find out about Obed-Edom? Anywhere the ark was, till the day he died, he was there. Him and his sons were doorkeepers at the house of the Lord. Because... The glory and the presence of God had sat in their living room for three months. And Obed said, King, I know you're here to take it. Will you give me a minute and we'll pack a bag? And we're going wherever that box is going. We've touched the glory and we ain't going to be without it. You go, just give us a second. We'll pull it together. We didn't realize you were coming today. Give us a minute. I don't know what pastor you thought you had, but this is the one you got. I want his presence. I want his glory. I want you to quit taking your attendance to church so casually. You trying to make me religious? No, just holy. If you love the world more than you love God, you're not his. I'm just trying to say love is things. Love the things of God. Love is people. Love them. I tell my boys all the time, and I feel like sometimes, anybody else have young, unmarried kids? I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall. They listen. But I don't feel like they listen. They'll see a pretty girl and they'll get her Snapchat. And I go, she's the great whore of Babylon. What are you doing? Her behind is hanging out of her shorts. I mean, good Lord, son, is that what you want to be married to? If she ain't at the cross, speaking in tongues and weeping, you don't need her. Test her spiritually before you look at her carnally. See if she's got the Holy Ghost first. See if she's real. If she's real, then you can pursue that. Meet her at church. Meet her. What are you doing? I tell them, do I do it all the time, son? What are y'all doing? Now, hey, that was disrespectful. Your mom could do that, but you can't. See, that means he's listening. We'll talk about that later. Um, But what am I trying to say to you? It applies to all of us. What are you hanging out with? What are you impressed with? What's eating your time? Endless scrolling on Facebook? Endless scrolling on Instagram? There's no life there. That's not going to get you anywhere. But yet, you have indiscriminate hours to do that. No time for the word. Who do you love? Mark Zuckerberg. A man that rich should be able to get a better haircut. That's all I'm going to say. Worst haircut I've ever seen. Your time is spent where your heart is. And guess what? Your money is put where your heart is. Show me your checkbook, I'll show you your heart. The question is this. Are you wanting to come near his presence? Oh, it's wonderful. You'll be forever changed. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.